This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. We've been discussing some pretty big ideas during this, <laughs> during this series. Uh, very big ideas. Um, and the unfortunate part about this medium is that we only have about 25 or 30 minutes to really dig in. And, and it's really tough because this idea, this concept, this shalom thing is humongous. I mean, it's, it's this reality that God has called us in, to live into. And we don't have the ability, to be honest with you, we just don't have the ability to communicate effectively what this completely means in a 25 to 30 minute session. But we try and tackle it. We've been getting into it and we've been getting some good stuff out of it. Today is the hardest one. <laughs> and, uh, and the teaching team made sure to give it to me. So we're going to go ahead and jump into it. Um, we're talking about reconciliation to creation. If you talk about like, I mean, yeah, reconciliation to God, huge idea. Reconciliation to self, huge idea. Reconciliation to others, huge idea. Reconciliation to all of creation. Have fun with that one, Chris. Um, <laughs> but we're going to see what we can do with it. So if you guys just want to pray with me real quick, we'll go ahead and get rolling. Uh, Father, we just come to you this morning thankful for who you are. God, I want to take the time to just slow down right now and to acknowledge your presence here. God, as, as we dig into this and as we talk about this shalom idea and, and this reconciliation to creation that you've called us to, Lord, I pray that you would just be so present here. God, I pray that you would speak to us so clearly. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you're doing. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your name. Everyone said, amen. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump into Genesis 1 and 2. We've been talking a lot about Genesis 1 and 2 during this series, and it's because Genesis 1 and 2 tells this story and casts this huge idea of God's original intention for his people and for his creation. And that's why we've been digging into it a lot. We're gonna talk a lot today about the image of God. We've been talking about that all series and we're gonna dig a little bit deeper today. But before we do so, I actually wanna jump into a Babylonian creation myth. Okay, this is gonna be fun. Um, I wanna talk about a warrior monster God. Okay, this is gonna be a lot of fun. The reason that I wanna do this is because the Genesis creation story was not the only creation story circulating in the ancient world. That might rock some of your brains, might rock some of your worlds. It's the truth. Actually, there were a lot of cultures that ended up putting pen to paper and writing down a creation story before the Genesis account was ever written. Now, that doesn't mean the Genesis account is not true. It just means that it was informed and it was shaped by the beliefs of these other cultures that had already written something down. One of these cultures was the culture of Babylon, the empire of Babylon. They had written down this creation myth called Enuma Elish. Say that with me, Enuma Elish. No, don't say it with me, it's weird. Um, they wrote this thing down called Enuma Elish, and it was this story about how they believed this whole thing came to be and why we're here. I mean, it's a big question, right? People ask this all the time. Like, what's my purpose in this life? Like, why in the world? Like, I get that I go to work and I pay my bills and I hang out with my family and I whatever, but like, why the heck am I here, right? Like, that's a big question that a lot of people ask. This Enuma Elish 
was Babylon's way of trying to kind of establish a reason and a purpose. And so what they did was they wrote up a story and they told a myth as to how all of this came to be. Now, in the Babylonian (coughs) creation myth, the stage that is set is that they believed before human beings existed, there were gods, multiple gods, lots and lots and lots of gods, actually. There were gods that ruled the earth. This is their belief, okay? They believe that there were gods that ruled the earth. Now, there was one god that was a warrior god. He was a monster god. He was brutal and violent and victorious and strong. And his name was Marduk. Say Marduk. I don't know. I don't know why I'm making you say these things. They're just fun to say. Um, (laughs) But there's this warrior god named Marduk in this myth, right? And Marduk is so strong and so dominant and so violent and so brutal that he wins over all other gods. And Marduk is now the king of the gods. Okay, are you guys following me? We have all these gods ruling the earth, but Marduk is the king of all of these gods, okay? And so then what ends up happening is these gods, they're ruling the earth, they're doing what they got to do, they're working the ground, they're whatever, and they start to get sick of it, because work sucks, right? And they start to get really sick of it, and so they complain to Marduk, and Marduk decides that he is going to create mankind to do the grunt work that the gods don't want to do anymore. And so we'll throw it up on the screen, Marduk says... I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they may be at ease. So so in Enuma Elish, they paint this really beautiful, glorious, purposeful reason for existence, don't they? No. They say the gods got sick of doing all the grunt work and working hard, and tilling the ground, and doing all the things that you're supposed to do to keep everything in order, and so instead of them continuing to do it, nah, that's, that's work that we can create other people to do, and they created humankind. Imagine being a Babylonian mom or dad, and telling your child that, when they're like, you know, why are we here, mom? Why are we here, dad? Oh, well, you know, the gods created us to do all the crap they don't want to do, right? But that is how the story went. We were slaves doing grunt work. We were users being used by these brutal, violent, they don't care, they don't love you, they don't even really care to know you. You're just doing what they didn't want to do. And your entire existence is slave labor. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? (laughs) But then, but then, The Genesis story is very different. As you guys know, the Genesis story is extremely different. And what I want to do today is I want to compare the two. And I want to look at why the Genesis story is so different and what it says about the one true God. All right? So in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves 
on the ground. Now, this, this image of God thing, we've been talking about it a lot, right? These last few weeks, we've been talking about this image of God concept. This image of God concept, in ancient Hebrew, they said, Salem Elohim. Elohim was the word that they used for God. And then Salem meant image of, or representative, representative of, essentially. And see, this image of God concept, when it was written down in Genesis, was not a new idea. This is strange to us because we don't live in this context. We didn't know what the people reading it would have really understood. But when they heard that mankind was made in the image of God, it was both a brand new idea and a very old idea at the exact same time. This is why kings and rulers were called the image of God. The Babylonian king would have been called the image of God. Every king or ruler in the ancient world said that they were sent from God, that they were the image of God, that they were like some sort of representative of the gods, maybe the image of the gods, right? Depending on their culture. And, and this idea was essentially to establish like a kingship or a rulership. Like this is the reason why you got to listen to this dude and not anyone else. Are you guys following me? This is that idea of Salem Elohim, but in Hebrew, in the Hebrew concept, in the Hebrew creation story, the difference is, is the writer of Genesis doesn't say the king was made in the image of God. Genesis says mankind, male and female, were made in the image of God. This is huge because the writer of Genesis is intentionally using king language. It's intentionally using king language. And what this says is that because we are created by a loving creator, we are all kings and queens. We are rulers of creation. You notice where it goes from there. It says that they're made in the image of God. And then it goes from there and, and, and God says, here, fill the earth. Like, multiply, be fruitful and multiply. Like, I'm gonna love using that command when my wife and I finally decide to start having kids. Um, but like, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, right? And then, and then not only that, he says, rule over the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and, and everything on the ground. Rule over it and subdue it. Take charge. It's yours. Do something with it. And do you see the stark difference between Enuma Elish and Genesis? Are you kind of starting to see it a little bit? Because Enuma Elish is like, well, we're here because we're slaves. End of story. Right? Like, there's a nice little bedtime story for you. Um, but Genesis says, no, we're here because we're dearly loved. And we're here because this creator created us and loved us so much that he said his creation was good. And he loved us so much that not only did he create us and put us here to fend for ourselves, but he created us and said, hey, you see all of this? Like, all of it? It's yours. Take it and do something with it. It's almost like God is just this, like, like jovial, like, exploding, like, just this energy of love and creation. And he's like, he makes us and he says, hey, do you see what I did? Knock yourself out. So different, isn't it? 
It's such a stark difference and it's, it's so amazing. See, we change. We change from being slaves, doing grunt work, to being participants and partners in God's creative work in the world. Now, there's a part in Genesis 2 that we usually skip over because it's really boring and there's a lot of names that, even, that I, just, I still don't know how to pronounce. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to butcher these names, and some of them I'm going to have to read twice. I looked up how to pronounce them, and I can't possibly remember how to pronounce every single one of these names. You guys got to give me a break here. I'm not a genius, okay? Um, but Genesis 2, verses 8 through 15 has this like really odd little tangent in it that when you're reading through, you know there are times when you're reading the Bible and you're like, okay, I have no clue what that says. I don't know. And then you just like keep going. You know what I'm saying? You guys experience that? all the time, right? Um, This is one of those passages, and it's got something in it that just, it it says something about God's creative directive for us. It says something about what God created us to do and what this reconciliation with creation thing looks like, and it's crazy. I'm not brilliant. I just, I read it in a book this week, and it blew my mind, so so here it is, right? Genesis 2, verses 8 through 15. It says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We all know about those. And then verse 10, it says, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Verse 12, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Weird little tangent, but um, the name of the second river is Gihon, and it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, and it runs along the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to take care of it. Now, part of this, the whole rivers and the forehead waters and stuff, they were describing a real place in in the ancient Middle East. So this was something that when you read it, you went, oh yeah, it was right about there. But there's the one little part where it's like, there was a lot of gold, and the gold was really good. You know, I'm, I'm reminded when I, when I first read that, it's like, there was gold. It's good. Like, there, have you guys ever seen that video with the, the he's like a, like a Southern pastor, and he's like, he's talking about all his blessings and how rich he is, and he's like, it, it's, it's unbelievable. When you watch it, it'll make you angry. But, um, but there's a point where he's like, my wife and I got a Buick Rendezvous. It's paid for. <laughs> and I laugh every time. I almost picture this like, there was lots of gold. It's good. You know what I mean? But, um, but this writer's like, there was lots of gold and it was, it was good. And then he talks about this like aromatic resin and this onyx and, and you're like, why? Right? Like by the time this would have been written down, the, the garden of Eden like was an idea, but I mean, it wasn't there anymore. It wasn't something that people could access or see. And so like, why would you feel the need to write all of the awesome things and all of the awesome resources that are there in the Garden of Eden. Are you guys following me? Like, there's really no reason to include this in this passage, except for that last line of the passage. It said, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, 
and take care of it. You see, when they say like there was gold and there was aromatic resin, there there was uh, balsam wood, which is actually really, really good for building stuff. There was onyx, which is like a precious metal that's really, really good for creating really awesome things. There are, the, the soil is very rich in minerals. The, there's lots of gold. There, there are things that you can take and you can make some really awesome stuff with it. Are you guys seeing where the writer's going with it? He says God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, not just to, we get this picture when we talk about Eden. Like, it's like you're just like, they were just prancing around naked just doing whatever they wanted. Like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's just me. Okay, I'm the only one that thinks that way. Um, but like you get this picture of like, you know, they're just chilling by the beach, sipping Mai Tais or something. You know what I mean? Like they're just hanging. They're just chilling. They're just like, th- this is the way God created it, right? Vacation 24-7. But that's not the way the story goes. Adam and Eve weren't on vacation. I'm sorry to break it to you, but vacation is not what God created us for. Vacation's cool. Vacation's for a time, and it's for rest, and it's for Sabbath, and that's awesome, and that's needed. But God created us to work. You see, in in Genesis here, Genesis 2, the writer says there were so many raw materials, and all Adam and Eve had to do was to work it. They had to take it out of the ground and take it and do something with it. You got wood, build a house. You got stone, build a city. Make a skyscraper. That would be cool, right? You know what I mean? And, and when God puts them in this garden, he doesn't intend for it to stay a garden. It obviously, God obviously intends them to take it and make something awesome with it. Are you guys following me? And this is extremely different from this Enuma Elish because Enuma Elish is like, hey, there's work that's got to get done and uh, we don't want to do it, so there you go. No, 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 no. The creation story is this creative God and and he creates this place that's just bursting with creative potential. And then he creates people in the image of God that are also bursting with creative potential. And he says, hey, you have potential to do something awesome. This is a place where you could take whatever you want and do whatever you want with it and make something awesome. Awesome. And obviously they don't live up to their calling. And, and I would love if the Eden story went, so they took all the stuff and they made some really awesome things, but it doesn't go that way, right? But see, God had given them this directive, and I think that it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the directive that God has given us, which is, Take these things that I've given you, these things that you're in charge of, and make something. Put it together, you know? That, that, uh, that king language, that image of God idea, there was this Hebrew word that was radah, and radah meant rule. So when it says God put man in the garden to rule it, it's, it's this word radah, Right? And this guy, John Mark Comer, he's a pastor out in Portland. The way that he describes Radah, it's it's the best way that I've ever heard it described, is to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. That's good, right? 
That's good. So God created Adam and Eve not to just exist in Eden, but to actively partner with him in creating something awesome in the world, to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And you know Adam, Adam's name, do you know what Adam's name means? Man. (laughs) Isn't that pretty simple? Isn't that pretty funny? Adam, and Paul talks about it so clearly in all of his letters, Adam represents who we all are, who we were intended to be, who Adam and Eve were created as is who we are intended to be. This shalom idea, when we live in shalom, we are living into the reality that God has called us to from the very beginning. And when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he tells them to rule over it, to radah, he says, actively partner with me in taking the world somewhere. That's not just for them, that's for us. And so when we're living into this shalom, when we're living into this original intention that God has created us for, we should be actively partnering with God in taking the world somewhere. And I love that they have all these raw materials that they're putting together because this is the crazy thing. So again, I'm not brilliant. I just just research a little bit, just a little bit. Google's awesome. Um, But a lot of neuroscientists are finding now as we do brain scans on creative people that really all your brain is doing when you're creating is taking certain parts of your brain and connecting them to other parts of your brain. And literally all you're doing is you're taking one thing that you know and another thing that you know and connecting them and making something new and cool and awesome. Are you guys with me? Steve Jobs said, creativity is just connecting things. I know some of you guys are Android people, but for us iPhone people who are saved and going to heaven, um, I'm sorry, I just, I, yeah. Don't get, me, don't get me going on iPhones. <laughs> yes, Bob leaves the sanctuary, right? Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but Steve Jobs, you gotta admit, even if you're an Android person, Steve Jobs is one of the most creative people to ever live. I mean, this guy knew what he was doing and he had some really fresh really new, really innovative ideas. And he really shaped technology and the world with the stuff that he did. And you know what he said about creativity? It's just connecting things. You take something over here and you take something over there and you take something here and and, and you kind of put it together and you make something. And so it's not this idea that you're necessarily drumming stuff up. It's this idea that God has given you things that you are in charge of we all have something to radar, to rule, you know? Like, like okay, first thing, first things first. Um, we're talking about reconciliation to creation, so I have to get this out there. We have been given a shared common space, which is God's creation, which is our earth, correct? Right? And we have these neighborhoods, and we have these nations, and we have this world that God has given us very clearly to rule over and take care of. Now, I just have to get this out there. 97% of the worldwide scientific community thinks we're doing a very terrible job. You might disagree, that's fine. 97% of the worldwide scientific community agrees that we're not doing a very good job taking care of our planet. That's something that's important. It's our shared common space and we have been given something to take care of. Uh, in the stream that I grew up in, 
any time that taking care of the planet. And I'm not talking about being some tree hugger environmentalist. I'm saying take the things that God has given you and do the right thing with them. If it's damaging the planet, don't damage the planet. And then, you know, obviously I'm a hypocrite because I drive a Jeep sometimes. And like, I know, I know, I know. But as I'm saying is if God has given us something to take care of, we need to do our best to take care of it. Am I right? The stream that I grew up in was very, uh, anytime climate change or anything was, was brought up, uh, literally I heard from multiple people, pastors, my parents, whatever. And that's fine. Like, it's just, it's just how they came up. But I was told, well, Jesus will be back by then anyway. <laughs> how do you know? And in the meantime, God's given you something to take care of and you're doing a terrible job. Do you want Jesus to come back and see, what did you do with the place? Right? Like, like imagine when you, were, when you were younger, you're like a teenager and your parents left for the weekend, right? And they came back and you had not been very responsible with the house. Like, you know what I mean? That whole, oh, Jesus will come back by then anyway. Really? Do you want him to come back and see this mess? <laughs> you know? Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Um, we've all been given things to rule. We've all been given things to radar. We've been given things to take and to make something out of. Maybe you have a business and it's your job to rule that business, right? Maybe you've been given a place in a company that has a lot of maybe uh, power or influence. Maybe you have a team of people that you manage, right? Maybe you've got a bottom line that you have to adjust, And you get to decide in some way, shape, or form whether you're a bag checker at Kroger or whether you run a Fortune 500 company. You have the choice to decide whether you are going to radar it, whether you're going to rule over it and take care of it, or whether you're just going to let it go. Whether you're going to be a world changer and an influencer in any way that you possibly can or whether you're not. You know, maybe you have a skill set or a gifting that God has given you, right? I have a friend that I've been working with, and uh, he's really, really passionate about music. It's something that's just been in his heart ever since he was a little kid. And he plays music all the time, and he writes music, and and he never shows it to anybody because he's afraid of what people are going to think, or he, he never shows it to anybody because his, honestly, like, just growing up, he, he wasn't very encouraged in that area. And so he's got a lot of insecurity when it comes to that. And, and so do we all, right? I mean, anything that we've been given to do, we're like, I don't know, I might suck at it, right? And we don't do anything with it. But see, God has given you a gift and a skill set that you need to use to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And if you're not doing that, what, is, what does Sam say all the time? Only you can do what you do, how you do it right? God has given you something. This isn't just a thing that you can just leave there. This is a raw material that you need to work, that you need to draw beauty out of, that you need to make something with. That's a directive given to us straight from Genesis. Maybe, maybe it's parenting. I don't know a whole lot about parenting because I don't have any kids yet, but I have a bunch of little siblings and, and, my wife, Nanny's kids part-time, so, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I dabble. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I'm saying. Um, 
But like, think about parenting for a second though, right? Like, what have you been charged to do? You've been charged to take these kids and to make them into something awesome, right? Like you've been given, you've been given responsibility over these little lives and like as you watch them grow up, it's crazy as I watch my little siblings grow up, who they turn into and the way that their personality shifts and morphs. And, and then you start to look at the psychology of things and like nature versus nurture. And yeah, there are some things that you're born with, but then there are some things that you pick up along the way. And, and then you have to ask like, what am I allowing my child to pick up along the way? And like, am I giving them the tools to take the things that God has given them to make awesome things? Or am I shutting it down? And, you know, am I, am I causing them to grow into the, the person and, and the thing that God has created them to be? Or am I not, you know? And, and you, any of you who have kids in this room, you've been given something to radar. You've been given something to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere and you can either do it or you, you don't. Maybe it's a relationship, right? Like think about maybe your relationship with your spouse. And, and to an extent, we've been given, if you're in a marriage, like you've been given this, this responsibility. Both of you have this like mutual responsibility for the other, right? And it's your job to like take it and make something awesome with it, right? And it's your job to take your marriage and invest in it and do, do good things to make it grow. And there are things that you can do to make it grow or there are things that you can do to make it not. And it's your choice, that is something I know a little bit about of, <laughs> but it's your choice. What are you going to do with it? You guys following me? There's one more Hebrew word that I want to talk about as we close up. I know I've been throwing a lot of them at you today, but this word is really great. This word is kabash. Now that one is fun to say, and I know you want to say it with me, right? Kabash. Just, just say it all day, right? Like you'll just be at home doing the dish, kabosh. Like it's just fun to say. Um, kabosh, it, so when, when Genesis says that God put man in the garden to rule it and subdue it, kabosh is the subdue word, okay? Now, subdue doesn't sound great, does it? No, subdue doesn't sound great. Subdue sounds kind of weird and kind of uh, like exploitive and I don't know. But the thing about this Hebrew word, this particular Hebrew word, kabosh, is it actually has two almost polar opposite meanings. And it really just depends on what context you put it in. Okay? You following me? So kabosh, the first meaning could be to exploit, enslave, abuse, or there are even times in Hebrew writings where it is, it is used to describe rape. So to take something that you have some kind of power over and to do something absolutely terrible with it is this kibosh word. But the second definition of kibosh, and, and the word that is used here in Genesis is the second definition because of the context. The second definition actually means to bring order to, to cultivate, or to work with, to draw beauty out of. How good is that? That's, that's why we've been talking about Hebrew words today because there are, just, there are words that mean things that we can't describe in English. When you start to pull it apart, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I knew that that makes sense. It just rings a bell. Like The second definition of kibosh is like you can take something and you can bring order to it. 
You can cultivate it. Think about a plant. Like you can leave it or you can stomp on it. You can do the first definition or you can cultivate it. You can water it. You can trim it. You can, you know, tie it up to the little stick that makes it grow up straight. You can do everything in your power to help it succeed, right? And that this kibosh word is what the writer of Genesis uses to say that we should subdue the earth. We should bring order to it. We should cultivate it. We should draw beauty out of it. And so we've been all been given these things that we radah, right? These things that we rule. We've all been given these things that we are in charge of. No matter what it is, think about your life right now. There are things that you are in charge of, am I right? To an extent, there are things that you have control over. And see this, this uh, kibosh language, it, it implies, it's, it's also king language, subdue is, is also king language, but see there are good kings and bad kings, right? There are good kings and there are bad kings. And we see even throughout the Old Testament, there are good kings, very good kings, and there are bad kings, very bad kings. And this Genesis idea, this kibosh idea says, God has given you something, Whatever that thing is, God has given you something. God has given us this earth. He's given us a shared common space. He's given you your neighborhood. What are you going to do with it? He's given you your household. What are you going to do with it? He's given you a business. What are you going to do with it? He's given you children. What are you going to do with them? He's given you gifts and skill sets and callings. And he's put something on you that you are in charge of. You are the king. You are the queen. Isn't that crazy? You are the king. You are the queen. It says it right there in Genesis. I don't know why people don't want to talk about this more. You have been given something that you are in charge of. And if you don't take it, and do something awesome with it, if you don't create with it, then you're neglecting it. Or maybe you're even exploiting it. And maybe you're being a bad king or a bad queen. It doesn't mean you're not a king or a queen, it just means that you're not good at it, right? And see, we've been given these things to care for and cultivate, and it's our call what we do with it. And so what I want you guys to do as we just kind of think things through and as we, as we meditate and as we reflect on what God has done in our hearts today, I want you guys to think about two things that are gonna really kind of set, this, set the stage here. The first thing is our work. God has given you something to do. God has given you gifts. He's given you passion. He's given you creativity. He's given you whatever it may be. He's given you family, he's given, you know, it goes, it goes super broad, but that thing, when I was talking about the work, the things that God has given you to do, you know what came into your head. We need to be good kings and good queens over it. Are you guys with me? We need to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And then the second thing I want you to think on and meditate on is our world. We've been given work, yes. But we've also been given a world. We've been given a shared common space together. What are we doing with it? Are we taking it and making it something awesome or are we making it something terrible? Are we destroying it? What about your neighborhood? Let's, let's, let's bring it in a little bit. What about your neighborhood? 
What about the place that you live? What about your neighbors, the people right next to you? Are you making something beautiful out of it? Are you actively partnering with God and taking the world somewhere? Or are you being a bad king or a bad queen and you're neglecting the responsibilities that God has given you? Are you guys with me? Now, the reason that we did creation last and the reason that we're closing this whole idea of shalom up with creation is because it encompasses everything. Do you see that? It encompasses everything. And this wraps up this whole shalom idea because you see, when we kabosh, like when we do it the right way, when we're good kings and we're good queens and we, we radah, we actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. We do this thing that God has given us to do and we do it the right way and we do it with intention and we actually make something awesome. We are living into shalom. Do you see that? When we take this and we make it something awesome, we are living into the creative potential that God put in us from the beginning. And God didn't create slaves for slave labor. He created creators to create. Do you see it? And so as we reflect on this and as we sing together to close out this morning, I want you to think on your work and your world and how can we, as a faith community, actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. God is taking the world somewhere. Newsflash, God is taking the world somewhere. The kingdom of the heavens is ever advancing. But are you a part of it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are and for what you've spoken this morning. God, I pray that as we reflect and we contemplate on these things that you've brought to our hearts and our minds and our spirits, God, I pray that you would show us the places that we are lacking, that you would show us the places that we have not ruled over well, the places that we have not radad and actively partnered with you in taking the world somewhere, but the places maybe where we have been bad kings or bad queens, the places where we have neglected, the places that we have exploited, the God, we repent and we apologize for being bad stewards of the world that you've given us. God, we recognize that something needs to change. We recognize that our work and our world, that we need to take charge and take intention and to connect these things and make something awesome out of it. And we know that you are doing that. And so God, as we partner with you, what a privilege it is to partner with you. God, as we partner with you and as we start this morning, I pray that you would convict us. God, that you would allow us to repent, that you would allow us to change, that you would allow us to turn and to start doing the right things with these things that you've given us. We love you, God. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone say. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.